Welcome to Growing Solutions with Mike Rochelle. I'm joined today by one of my oldest friends, Brian Rogers, who's a lawyer in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, and he came to me with an interesting question the other day about how I would address something. So Brian, why don't you kick it in and say, uh, talk, talk to me about the conversation that you, you had with your granddaughter and then how uh, we might work together to help people to uh, resolve uh, how to have a happier life and how to have a more powerful union with another individual. Well, part of uh, being this age means uh, I get the honor and privilege of being a grandfather. And um, uh, as a result of that, I, I care a lot about my grandchildren and, and think a lot about them and their futures and uh, what this world will look like for them and what they will look like for the world. So uh, in my work, I practice as a mediator and I do uh, uh, work uh, helping uh, families solve solutions, uh, couples that are separating or getting divorced, uh, contractors that are uh, splitting up, um, uh, family businesses that are ending and, and uh, brothers and sisters having to resolve uh, disappointment and conflict, um, landowners that are next to each other and having to resolve things. But it, it, it occurred to me uh, as I've done uh, work uh, as a lawyer uh, for people whose relationships are ending that as I speak to people, you know, many times there was just uh, no uh, process at all to um, to uh, finding the love of their life. And so um, I've listened uh, to a lot of podcasts and Lex Friedman is uh, someone who I enjoy and, and listen to quite often. And one of the things he will almost always ask uh, each person he's interviewing, no matter what their level of expertise is or what the rest of the conversation is, he'll almost always say, how do you find the love of your life and, and or, you know, your your uh, best relationship? And it occurred to me that that question is um, really not answered and not considered. You know, people uh, go to the local watering hole or go to a bar or they just uh, make contact with people and then relationships get formed, but they're not asking, you know, questions about the other person. So every uh, summer I go up to northern Minnesota with my son-in-law and uh, with my granddaughter, who's now 13, and we drive uh, from Wyoming to Iowa to Des Moines and then head north all the way almost to Canada and go fishing for a week. And I realized I had a captive audience in my granddaughter. So I wanted to help her ask questions uh, that might help her identify uh, who would be an appropriate lifelong uh, soulmate for her versus just uh, allowing time and chance to uh, to take that process. Sure. So um, so interestingly, so then we're in we're in. Uh, uh, is it Minnesota? Minnesota, yes. We're in Minnesota. Were you were you uh, fishing? Or Minnesota, right? Oh. So, so I had a history there in Or uh, when I was in college. I went up there uh, and uh, worked at a camp on Pelican Lake in Or and uh, did that uh, and really enjoyed it and made some lifelong memories. And a lot of the people uh, my age that I knew uh, went up to that camp as well. And yeah. in, in the meantime, uh, my son-in-law, uh, when he was twelve. Uh, the year, the last year I was up there was the first year he went up there and he had a family tradition of going to or Minnesota and going fishing. And so when he married my daughter, he was saying, hey, you know, every summer we go on this trip and he showed me this picture. And I go, I know where that is. And he couldn't uh -huh. believe it. So um, my grandmother Draper had a saying that all the pennies in a bag shake together. And so we just laugh that uh, we both had history from the same place and uh, we renewed it. And now we go every year and just it's just a wonderful part of every summer. That's awesome. So, yeah, so I actually was able to go there when I was a teenager. Um, never went there when I was in college, but uh, it was a beautiful place. So, so you're driving from Wyoming to Minnesota. 
Yeah. And you're, you're talking about things. So how did you enter into this conversation with your granddaughter? And why did you think to bring me into this conversation as well? <laughs> yeah. So um, I told her, uh, you know, she's in the back of the truck. I'm riding up front with um, her father and my son-in-law and we take turns driving and we go straight through. So it's just, uh, yeah. it's just heading down the interstate. And uh, uh, I, what I did was I got uh, cardstock business card size pieces of paper of cardstock with nothing printed on them. And I, and I got a, a handful of them and uh, took them with her. And I said, okay, you're, you're going to have a talk with your papa and, and we're going to talk about boys. And so, you know, she's 13 and starts giggling and whatnot. And, and so uh, I had different colored pins and um, off we went. So I, I gave her uh, 10 cards or so, maybe 10 or 12. And I said, I want you to write down what you're going to look for in a boy. And so she's like, uh, and so, um, but she's also thoughtful. She's, she's a very, um, very thoughtful young lady. And, and she, uh, she considers things. this would be my son-in-law's daughter. So uh, when my daughter married her, married him, uh, she was a baby. The granddaughter was wow, a baby. So okay. she's not, not biologically my granddaughter, but in every other way she sure, is. Sure, your granddaughter. Yeah. Sure. Yes. So um, I had to write down, think of the things you would think. And I thought she would do, you know, what a lot of people do, you know, good looking, strong muscles and all that kind of stuff. And she was, she was actually very thoughtful. So I gave her a blue pen and she wrote down things like um, hardworking, uh, wants to achieve things, will support me in my goals. And I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> we're a long way down the, the road on this. And, and uh, so she wrote down um, a bunch on cards and I said, pick your top five. And so she said, okay. And she picked her top five. And then I gave her a red pen and I said, I want you to turn over your cards and I want you to write down the exact opposite of what you wrote on this side. Uh, uh, what's the opposite of what you're looking for? And so she um, uh, wrote down, you know, uh, um, only interested in his stuff instead of supporting her and, and instead of hardworking, you know, plays video games and all the time. And so she just wrote little phrases and, and uh, we, um, we went through that and so she had the top five and she wrote down the opposites and i said okay of, of those five how many of those would be deal breakers that if this was one of their quite uh traits or qualities uh you wouldn't want to be involved with them and she looks and she goes all of them are deal breakers papa and so <laughs> so um i said okay well that's good to know so let's turn it back over to the blue side and we went back to the blue side and then we had a conversation with um her father and i and we said how would you recognize this trait? You know, if you want to know if someone's going to support you in the things you want to do and achieving your goals, how would you find this out in a boy before you had a relationship with him? So she was thinking it over and she goes, well, maybe, maybe I would share with him what I want to do and see if he'll be interested in supporting me. And, and so she, some of them, she couldn't come up with anything right away, but we were talking about different situations um, uh, that would identify different characteristics. And one of the things we talk about, um, you know, in Wyoming, we do a lot of hunting and fishing and camping and we're outdoors. It's just outdoors everywhere here. And so we we all know that when you go out and you go camping for three or four days with someone or hunting for three or four days with someone, you learn a lot about them and you find out what they're about when they're out in the woods. And so she agreed that, you know, you could learn a lot about someone if uh, they, they were all out in the woods and you had to get up every morning and build a fire and make food and take camp up and down. And, you know, how would you approach hiking and going to different places. So we talked about that and, and she was just, you know, pondering it and thinking about it. And that was part of what I was hoping to get her to do. Just think about how would I recognize the things that I want and appreciate in another person. And then we turned it over and we looked through the red cards, the red side, and we said, okay, you know, how would you recognize this? And that was a lot easier. I mean, she could just bang, bang, bang. If, well, if he was like this, then, you know, I, I, I would see that. And I said, well, would you learn to look for that? And she would say, okay, okay. 
And then we were probably into Iowa, maybe almost all the way to Des Moines. And we stopped for gas and we got out at a gas station and I said, take your cards. And she said, okay. And I said, throw them up in the air. And so she threw them up in the air and they landed on the ground. And I go, how many are red and how many are blue? And she goes, well, three are red and two are blue. I said, you just took somebody you don't know home from the bar. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I don't know what you're getting. And I said, how many of these red ones would be a problem? She goes, they all would. I wouldn't want any of this. I said, okay. So before we get involved with somebody, we need to find out what they're about. And you need to think about that. And she said, good. And then uh, we went through another process uh, where I said, okay, now we've done all this and we've had fun. Um, what do you think if your dad were making out the cards for you, what, what, what would you, would your dad write anything different? And, you know, honestly, um, he was, he was really impressed as well. And he goes, I don't know that I would write much different, but I thought maybe if she was saying, I want a tough guy or a, or, um, you know, a hot guy or something like that, he might cross that out and put something different, but her, her questions were, um, pretty thoughtful. And so, uh, then I said, okay. And she has a little sister who's, um, uh, two years old and, and two to three, and she just loves her and adores her. And I said, so, you know, if you're for your little sister, how would you change any of these cards if you were trying to find someone uh, perfect for her? And so she thought about it. She goes, well, maybe, you know, she's a little different for me. And um, one of the things she uh, uh, put down as well, I recall, she said intelligent. She didn't want to marry a dummy. She wanted to have someone that she had um, uh, could have good conversations with. And she thought that maybe, um, maybe her sister might want someone a, a little more creative than just, you know, brainy. And so she could see those differences. And so, um, we, we went through that process and then I said, okay, now, um, let's talk about just you as a couple, you know, um, what if you were queen Elizabeth and you're, you've been crowned and you're going to be over the country and, and, and all of England and all its possessions, and then your children will be ruling. Would you make out this list any, any different? And she said, wow, that's a different question. And so she was thinking through that. And then I talked to her in terms of um, one of the things I appreciate about uh, Jordan Peterson is just working for the greater good. And I said, okay, if you two are gonna be together and you're gonna work for the greater good of your community, you're gonna make the community a better place. Are there things that you would wanna have on those cards that he has? Um, that you would for sure like to see there. And so then it became a question, not so much of, you know, what are my personal preferences, but then it became a question of, hey, what dovetails well with who I am to uh, uh, elicit good, to, to create good, to result in good, you know? And then, so it's a different question. And, and I wasn't trying to pin her down or tell her, you know, you've got to find all these qualities in a boy or you can't be in a relationship with him because she's, she's starting to notice boys, but it was just to, to develop the thought process. And at that point, I, um, I began to think about you and about, you know, the training you've um, given me. I had you come to our church and, and uh, talk about strengths and, and training uh, that I know you've uh, shared through your consulting and through your advice to companies. And I said, okay, that has to be a part of this equation that if you're truly saying, I'm going to lifelong partner with someone to do things that will satisfy my soul and who I am and allow me to express all I can be, then that, that conversation should be a part of how the relationships develop. What are my strengths? What are your strengths? How do they complement each other? How do they support each other? And so that's when I called you and I said, Mike, I think there's a conversation here yeah. that uh, is, is very relevant because um, I think it's easy for people. In fact, I just, um, I was just talking to a girl who's 21 and um, she's got a little baby and um, 
uh, she's just, they're just a Western couple, you know, she's a cowgirl, he's a cowboy, they have a, a baby now and they're separated. And, um, you know, she, she just uh, found him and then thought she had found another, another um, boyfriend, but it didn't work out. He wasn't who she thought she'd be. And, and as I talked to her, she, it was clear that she did not necessarily think she really deserved the best person in a lifelong mate. And I really tried to talk to her and say, you know, let's just, let's just shoot for the stars. Let's just say you're going to live the best, best life you can live and you want to do it with the best person you can be with. And who would that be? And can you think of it in those terms? And she really struggled. And I think a lot of people struggle to think of themselves in that way as really deserving the, the best fit for life. Um, they're just trying to find, you know, a relationship. And so, you know, in, in uh, personal relationships and business relationships and in how uh, teams are put together. I don't think we're asking that question sometimes because we don't really think we deserve it. So I said to her the same thing, you've got a little sister that you love. Yeah, what do you want for her? And then so she just lit right up and started rattling things off. And I said, okay, can you can you fight for that for you as well? Can you fight for you to have the best? And what I see is that people for one reason or another, have never had this conversation with themselves to prepare them for conversations with someone else. But when I do have the conversations with them, they light up and they realize, hey, wait a minute, there's something to this. And, you know, Lex keeps asking all his guests, what's this all about? And people answer it. And I know it's it's popular for a, a lot of people. So how do you frame that question? Yeah. How do you, how do you, what are the answers you look for? And I just believe that when you consider not only strengths, but what are the components of a lifelong, satisfying, joyful life, there are questions to be asked and questions that you can look for answers for um, that would help. And that's where I thought you kind of came in and that's why I yep. gave you the call. Yeah. So phenomenal conversation with your granddaughter. I mean, first of all, and I, I look forward to meeting her someday because she sounds like she has a lot going on. <laughs> she is a great kid. Much like all your kids do. Um, <laughs> So interestingly, so the, the way that, that I think about this is uh, systematically and leveling it up, right? So I'm obviously a Christian. Everybody that knows me knows that pretty, pretty quickly, typically. Um, but uh, I also know that there are many other folks that have multiple uh, faiths and uh, belief systems. So I kind of I try to level it up, right? Always in everything that I talk about. So... I'm going to share with my share my screen here, and I'm going to walk you through the model that I've created. Now, I've created. I, you know, we all stand on the on the shoulders of giants, and there are sure. probably hundreds of authors that have contributed to this identification. Uh, Maslow being the the, uh, the primary author. Uh, more recently, Jordan Peterson, Lex Friedman, Joe Rogan. Um, you know, for uh, just uh, years back, uh, we're talking about John Maxwell and um, Seven Habits. What was that? Covey. Covey, right. The uh, uh, Lencioni and uh, the the writers of uh, Crucial Conversations and the writers of Strengths uh, Based uh, Leadership and um, and the Gallup Organization. So there's a lot of a lot of different influences that I have, um, but I. Before I go through the model, I want to talk a little bit about kind of how I come to this. So the program that I that I grew up and learned how to teach other leaders was called the Regional Learning Forum. And it was a construct that Dick Dooley, 
of the Dooley group put together. Um, and I'm fairly certain that it came from experiences that he had at the Aspen group, uh, which is a think tank in Aspen uh, that exists to this day. Mm. Uh, and that's why it was called a learning forum, right? So leaders are learners is kind of the idea that he had. And one of his friends was uh, Mortimer Adler. Mortimer Adler was the author of, or the editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, and also one of two people, I can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, that were responsible for the great book series, hmm. the great books, right? And out of the great books, and there were all of these books were Western thought books. And they created a book called The Great Ideas, and the great ideas all came out of the great books. And it was sort of like, um, if you've seen the, I, the, the uh, I don't remember the guy's name anymore, but I remember the movie. <laughs> um, 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 who was the Braveheart guy that you, you talked about earlier? Mel Gibson? Wallace. Wallace, right. Wallace, yeah. So Mel Gibson played Wallace in the movie. But Mel Gibson also played the guy who was the author of the Oxford Dictionary. So it was mm -hmm. the first time that somebody put together a dictionary um, and he was a Scot, I believe, and he actually put together a team of acad uh, academics who read all of the great books of the day, and then they took words that had not been added to the dictionary yet. And so that's kind of the way that they did it. Literally, manually, they would read these books and then highlight words and say, hey, do we have this word yet? No, we don't have this word yet. Let's put it in there. And uh, so Mortimer Adler and his team back in the day in the 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe even into the 70s, read all of the great books. And then as they would come across an idea, they would cross-reference the idea among all these great books. And the great, the great ideas was the deal. And one of the, one of the ways that, uh, that we thought of things in the Regional Leadership Forum was that you had to think of ideas and then try the ideas on. Um, and it wasn't that you were necessarily buying the idea, but you had to think of the idea. And in this opening of yourself, you were learning how other people thought, right? So I started going down that path and then I realized, no, wait a minute, you know, in, in the information technology space, which I've been in for 35 years or so, um, we have a lot of folks that are not Western, right? We have a lot of Indians. We have a lot of uh, Eastern Europeans who are not necessarily uh, Western from their perspective, they're Eastern Orthodox, right? right. So, uh, so if we if we just stick to the great books and the great ideas, we're only looking at Western thought. And although I believe, as I said uh, in our uh, growing uh, the next version of you show, that the Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian values that we've created have really for, uh, forced a ethos and a culture and a way of being uh, that is significantly better and or and or has moved the world, that um, that it is it is significant. But if we don't include the Eastern religions and Eastern thought processes, we're at a loss. So what is the thing that all of these groups uh, agree to and their virtues? So the, the, the Greeks called it uh, virtue ethics, uh, but there are always modes of being that are either good or evil, right? So um, in Taoism and in, in, uh, Taoism, if, if you will, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. There's chaos and there's and there's uh, order, mm -hmm. right? It's the yin and the yang thing. So um, so if we include all of the people groups in the world, if we include all of the religions, there are a great set of beliefs that we all have in common that are both uh, good uh, or their opposites are evil, sort of like the blue and the red cards that you did, right? Sure. 
So uh, there's actually a group called Virtues uh, International, uh, which were primarily driven by the Baha'i uh, people of the Baha'i faith, uh, but they uh, have embraced lots of different faiths and they and they've cataloged all the virtues. And there are cards that saw, talk about how you can utilize these virtues. So uh, virtues is the way that I come to character from a from a universal perspective, so that my Hindu friends and my Buddhist friends and my Baha'i friends and my um, um, you know religions all over. Uh, can agree that these are ways of being that are most powerful and lead to happiness, right? So that's kind of the foundational perspective that I have. Um, and then if you look at Maslow's- If, I, if I could jump in, Mike, before you move yeah. on, um, but what comes to mind as you describe that, uh, you went started with the dictionary example, and what are all the words that we use to describe or to articulate or communicate everything we're trying to communicate? Right. But then you move beyond that to great ideas, and what's a great idea? Well, in law, we uh, have uh, our, our legal history is based on previous cases. We have precedent, and then there are certain cases, and we call them seminal, you know, from that's the same root as semen, um, in that they engender a whole life, a whole set of, of, of additional cases that were drawn from this original case. And so when, when you describe great ideas or virtues, um, they, are, they are things that are seminal. You know, not all ideas are seminal. And when I impart an idea or a virtue to another person, Right. It won't necessarily elicit anything from someone else, but a seminal idea, a great idea, good or bad, will have many children. It will have right. many things that are derived from it. Right. And so that we, we use the um, descriptor of virtue to, to disseminate between ideas that are, are for good, but there are also great ideas that are for evil and have many children that are evil and they're destructive and, and uh, they bring death by their nature. But um, the idea of being able to communicate to someone else a virtue, it should resonate worldwide because it should produce in that person, this, it should be a seminal idea that would produce derivative thoughts and, and concepts and ways of being that they can also relate to. And so I appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah, I appreciate that too. So interestingly, uh, I have a document that I put together because you told me I needed to called the Rochelle Universe, right? So, so it's sort of my way of being from a business perspective. Um, and and it's and it significantly relies on Christian faith as a way of describing what it is that I want to be and do in the world. To your point, to make a difference, to to grow things rather than break things. And as I was going through it with a friend of mine who happens to be Muslim, I went to his um, to his naturalization ceremony over a decade and a half ago. Mm. He's from Pakistan. Uh, but as I was going through my definition of how I look at the world in a, in a very specific way, which I won't bore you with now, uh, pretty much everything that I said, he had a reference to in the Hindu, uh, I'm sorry, in the, uh, in the Muslim faith, in the Quran. And I've had the same conversation similarly with Hindu friends who have a very similar experience. As a matter of fact, in the Bhagavatam Veda, um, a lot of the things that Krishna says are almost identical to things that Christ said in the New Testament, right? So the, and I'm not saying that I am, I am a Hindu or I am a Muslim or I am Sikh or I am uh, anything other than who I am from a cultural perspective, but I can appreciate that um, we have more in common than we have in difference in reality, right? And if you are humble enough to listen to what the other person has to say in the conversation, then you can learn where those commonalities come from. And I think that is a path 
for your granddaughter and for any person of any faith to uh, to understand right is that if you if you understand what people's core virtues are the things that make them tick and from where they come then it's easier to understand what those blue and those red things are going to be in the cards sure uh, as, as they look through life so character is the driver right it it becomes who we it becomes what we think and what we how we behave it becomes our habits it becomes our character and then it becomes uh, our uh, our essence in life how we how we actually deal with other people so I'm going to go back here so if you look at this so then so foundationally uh, we are uh, we are character we stand for something right and I don't know exactly how this applies specifically to the mate issue right which is even more intimate than most other relationships but if you understand somebody's foundational character you can understand what you can expect them how you can expect them to behave and i think behavior then becomes the path from which all of the fruit comes out what what their life is going to to produce and then um, not only actions that are intentional but and i think it's this is where it gets critical most people in a in a happy uh healthy environment or you know we talk talk about the honeymoon period um, right. Hey, they can, they can, they're happy enough. And, and those, uh, those uh, parts of their character that maybe aren't exactly what they desired, aren't a big deal because they're happy and moving along. But then when you face financial crisis or personal crisis or the death of, of a child or something like that, it's the reaction that, that is character born. You know, how do you handle something that hits you out of left field? How do you handle a twist and a turn that you never thought was coming? That's when we find out what virtues we have embraced right. and what is really a part of us versus, you know, how, what, what does life look like when everything's working well? And that reactionary product is vital to know because no one has a trouble-free life. <laughs> That's right. So, so, so part of, part of this is developed from Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? So uh, his, his, um, hierarchy starts at physiological. So the physical and mental health part is kind of the, the, the place where um, Maslow begins. I add character because I think character is more of a spiritual or a heart thing, right? Sure. Than a, than a, than a, a manifestation. Now you manifest that which you are. Um, so that's why I think of it as spiritual. Right. Uh, I'm not a, Academician, as far as how you define these things, uh, so I'm trying to look through all of the literature that I've read over 30 years and kind of define it in that in that way, right? Right. But Maslow starts at phys physiological um, and basically says if you don't have uh, shelter and you don't have food and you don't have uh, water, then you're not going to be able to move forward. So I, I add that together with mental health. So sure. there's a physical part of who we are, but there's also the mental part that we have to deal with. So we're getting into body and mind at that point. And then from a, a, a business perspective, this is where I start with businesses, which is knowing yourself and your strengths. So the other stuff is foundational. It, it exists and it, in an individual level, you can coach folks in that regard. But the where we hit the road and where we start impacting others, I think is knowing yourself and your strengths and then building strong relationships, right? And right. what the strong relationships are is knowing themselves and their strengths too, right? So it's like the first part is 
And I think you said the other day that Jordan Peterson says that uh, answering Lex Friedman's question about um, how do you know who's right for you? What did Peterson say? Well, he said that's a dumb question. What you need to be asking is who, who, how can you be what's right for someone else? That's and right. that work. That's right. So, so that's so so fun. Foundationally, then, if you know your character and you have good physical and mental health, and you know yourself, which in a lot of cases people don't know themselves, they're, no. they're driven by the winds of of a current of something external to themselves. But if they really know themselves then they're somewhat immune to that. Um, and if they know their strengths, they know how they can be most best useful in the world. And that's a Gallup strengths kind of a thing, right? Um, it also can be Myers-Briggs or DISC or anything else. But the, but the point is that you know who you are and you know how to get the best out of yourself. Um, my uh, my um, leadership um, uh, brand is Leadership In, and I call it Leadership In because In is the next. So it is who you are today and who you are tomorrow. And Peterson was the one that says that in his, in his first book or his second book, the, the 12 rules, he talks about knowing, uh, growing to the next version of you every day, right? Becoming right. that which you are becoming better than you were yesterday. And that's how you should judge yourself, not judging yourself uh, to others, but judging yourself to you. And are you becoming something better every day? So I take that from that, from that and other, and other references. Right. And I like that, you know, on that, that level, you say strong relationships. You don't just say relationships. I mean, we, we have relationships that are terrible or draining or, or wearying or demanding uh, that are not strong relationships and we have weak relationships. And I help a lot of people when I mediate and, and part of my investment in my granddaughter is to say, okay, what are the components for you? that would uh, develop a strong relationship. So when you talk about foundational character and, and virtues, well, you know, at a, at a minimum, if you're gonna be in an intimate relationship with someone, it's almost universal that they don't want them to be in a relationship with someone else at the same time. You know, it, it's, it's just worldwide, that's a problem. And exactly. uh, we, we, so those, those virtues are uh, easily um, overlooked because we just say, well, what do I want? I want a relationship. I want a, I, I want a, a soulmate. I want a lifelong boyfriend or girlfriend. And I want someone, you know, to be there with me. Well, who though? You want a strong relationship. And, and it's the strong part that we sometimes miss, I think, because we're concentrating mostly on relationship because we don't want to be alone. Right. That doesn't solve the steps underneath. That doesn't identify the steps underneath. And some people are lucky enough to find a strong relationship and some people aren't. And it's bitterly disappointing. And, and uh, the consequences are just legion. Um, when that level isn't met. Yeah. Yeah. So, th so there are, there are a lot of things that you can do uh, to build strong relationships. And, and basically one of the, one of the things that I teach here comes from crucial conversations, which um, the, the writers of crucial conversations uh, were all parts of the Covey organization back in the day when Stephen Covey was alive and, and thriving and they went and they created crucial conversations and crucial conversations is about how to have difficult conversations when there are high stakes, strong emotions, and differences of opinion, <laughs> which is just about every conversation that you have, sure, <laughs> with every yes. client, right? Yes. But, but what I what I'm hoping is that if we can build this model so that people can have um, crucial or fearless conversations in those strong relationships, that they can they can understand how to have the conversation without uh, without the acrimony, um, that they can forgive people for doing things that they've done and then they can move forward 
in gratefulness, as you were talking about earlier, um, into that relationship, regardless of what level of relationship it is. And Help me understand this from your experience and your expertise, because yeah. um, you, you talk about, you know, I enjoy who you are. You'll say that often to people, who you are. Right. And um, for a lot of people, they, they feel like that's fixed. You know, that's a fixed entity. But I, I, as I work my way up the pyramid and we go from strong relationships to knowing your capabilities and on upward, what, you know, sometimes a, a gal will find a guy and he's got a couple of problems, but she believes she can help change him. And then sometimes there's a guy and he's, he's involved in a gal and it's not all ideal, but I, I, can, I can help change her. How much of it from your perspective is fixed and and or is there always the possibility to build a relationship that can have big dreams and goals from your perspective yeah so the, so the way i think about it is that so we have and and i think psychiatry pretty well says somewhere between five and 12 years old our personality is fairly set and and but personality is the way that you do things in the world right so the cool thing about the way that Gallup looks at it is that you have somewhere between 10 and 14 strengths that are your core way of, do, of being in the world, of the way of doing, the way of uh, uh, impacting the world. And, and you only have somewhere between four and eight lesser strengths, or as, as everybody else in the world calls it, weaknesses, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So what you can do is you can mitigate the weaknesses because you have to not be a draw, a drag, a drag, right? But you right. can do, you can do you can you can deal with those weaknesses in a couple of different ways. Um, and I have these conversations. I'm having 27 of them this week with with a client and all of their uh, individuals that are coming to classes. The first thing is that if nobody has told you that that weakness has bothered them, you don't have to worry about it because it's not something that's getting in your way, right? If you have a weakness, which is a lesser strength that is uh, getting in your way, there, there are two ways to deal with it. Number one, you can create it using your strengths because you are a, uh, a sentient being. You are a thinking, thriving, growing individual. And we know that plasticity of the mind now goes through the whole your whole life, sure. right? Uh, Ian McGilchrist lays this out very, very clearly. We are not stuck with who we are, right? We can continue to grow um, until we're, we're not a part of this world anymore. Um, and then, and then finally, if you have a weakness that's getting in your way, you can partner with somebody who has that as a strength and either, um, and the way I think about it is if you are a leader, you're going to have weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses, but there are people in your team that have that as a strength. Well, ask them to do those tasks to be that, which they would love to be right in your stead. And then as you're watching them or as you're involving them in re resolving issues uh, that have to do or could use their strengths, then you can adapt the way that they are. We are plastic forever, right? I even think that this is an eternal thing, but that's another conversation for another time because I think we're going to continue to be learning because there's so much to know that we don't know. There is so much that we don't know that we don't know that, we, that it's, uh, it's humbling, right? It should be. So as long as we're a humble individual and we're striving forward, we can continue to grow and we're not stuck. We are not, we are not, uh, a lot of people, um, and I'll, I'll name it, especially deliberatives have an issue with being pegged with who they are because sure. they don't want, they don't want to ever have somebody say that they're just this. 
Okay, well then don't just be that. Be that plus. And sure. then if you learn more about how to grow, then you can do that as well. So that's, that's the way I come to it. Does that make sense? So, so as you look at it and, and you know, um, people in an intimate relationship where they're, they're looking for that lifelong partner to move forward with, you know, you may, you may get to the next step above strong relationship and, and know your capacity and you may know within your capacity, your limitations, but from your perspective, are there any virtues if a person's ungrateful or, or is there any virtues that would be on the bottom foundational layer that a person cannot absorb? Is there enough plasticity to, um, embrace any virtue that might be identified in a crucial conversation. So I don't have positivity as one of my top strengths, but I do have optimism. And, and I, would, I would say that as long as the person is willing to grow, that they can overcome any, any issue that they have, right? Um, where, it, where it becomes difficult is that if you have a partner who is striving to become together, and you have an individual that is not willing to grow together. They're they're only they're recalcitrant in their uh, in their approach on life. Uh, that becomes more difficult, right? But that 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 is not that is that doesn't mean that it's not something that can be overcome either. But as you work with people, aren't most people coming in with the mindset that the other one isn't going to change? Don't a lot of people think we got problems and nobody's going to change? And then you're helping them see that they can. Well, this is where I would agree with Gandhi, which is that you have to be the change, right? Mm. You have to you have to be the one that that does it first. Um, and if the other individual in the relationship never goes there, um, I think there are some seven levels of trust that you can develop, right? So you know where you stand with that individual, and you know how they're specifically going to respond in most or most situations. Um, so then it becomes your job to be the more emotionally intelligent person to move the relationship forward. Right. But you can't do it for them. They're going to have to do it. And, and maybe in certain arenas, they're not going to do that. Uh, but as an internal optimist, I think that there's always a reason to strive forward to give as much as you can. Um, and then something you said earlier, I thought to say is that there are there are individuals in life that you'll run into that are that are mostly negative and mostly taking, um, and you have to you have to put boundaries around your life, a bubble if you will, uh, that protects you and your family from that individual if you have to. Uh, but by and large, I always strive first to be positive and opening, and then only then uh, if it's impossible to move forward with an individual. Uh, then you can you can create a path uh, by which you can thrive yourself, uh, but you may not be able to continue that relationship. So are crucial conversations uh, more for identifying need or more for identifying blind spots, or is it both? So I'd say I'd say that um, the crucial conversationalist who is the driver of the conversation um, has the most uh, the most open way to create value in the relationship as possible, right? So what they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a fact-based uh, approach to whatever the problem is that they're trying to solve, and they're trying to fill what what they call the pool of shared meaning with those facts, and they're trying to elicit with the same energy and passion that they have for their own ideas from the other individual that which they believe are facts that need to be considered 
as you move into problem solving. So you, you said earlier that you do a lot of problem solving. The whole idea behind Crucial Conversations is that we understand what the facts are that we're bringing, what the facts are that they're bringing, and then create a path forward that we can both agree to. So it's a mediation of, of a situation, whatever that situation is, either be it in a family context or being in a uh, cultural, uh, family, familial uh, perspective about how we resolve to move forward with certain things. Does that make sense? Yeah, as you move up the pyramid, you get up to, you know, know your capacity, right? That's what the one above, strong relationships. Know your yeah, so, so knowing capabilities, um, and I love everybody. And I, I've literally said this to CEOs, you know, where they're saying, well, what do you think about my team? And I'm like, well, I love them all. <laughs> uh, and what I'm, what I'm saying is I love who they are. I love their strengths. Um, and I love uh, their character. Um, I, I don't necessarily deal with capabilities, but a capability is uh, something that you are good at doing. Right? Sure. So it's separate from, from, from personality, which is the knowing yourself and your strengths. It's separate from relationships, which is how do we how do we negotiate how we move forward? It's actually what you do. And there's a whole a whole cadre of people that do that work. Right. Um, but you have to know what you're good at um, in uh, the book. Good to great. It talks about you have to know what you're best in the world at, what you're most passionate about and what you can make money at. Right. And where those three things come together, that's your capability. Um, and so th that's what uh, what folks have to know for themselves um, and, uh, you know, for business partners, what what capabilities they're bringing into the into the situation. Sure. In, in a relationship in my for my granddaughter, if, if she identified her strengths, um, uh, are there certain strengths that work well with other strengths to accomplish big dreams and goals? Like, you know, my first two are are learner and and. Um, strategic. So part of what my life, my wife had to learn was I need to be learning. I need to have time to learn, uh, to have soul satisfaction in every day. And, and so she makes that a priority for her. And, and I think, you know, she's got strategic at her top five. So I think she's strategically, um, managing, um, that proclivity in me. But I, I, as you look at strengths or there's, I think of the uh, gardening book, you know, uh, uh, tomatoes love basil, right? You know, they always say plant basil near your tomatoes. Are there certain strengths that pair up well with others to accomplish big dreams and goals or necessarily? Well, so, so, so this is the, the, the universal question has always been, um, is leadership learned or is it innate? Um, I think it's, I think it's learned. I think in some people it is innate, right? There are strengths that rely, that that lead you towards leadership or, or things like that. But when it comes to goals and dreams, it's a universal need, regardless of what your strengths are. So sure. I, don't, I don't think that anybody is handicapped, um, and I don't think anybody's advantaged uh, necessarily, uh, because regardless of what you dream or the goals that you set, you still have to influence others. You still have to have relationships with others and then you still have to execute on whatever it is that you're dreaming. Um, so I, I, I don't think, I don't think so, Brian, but I, I'd, I'd be happy to understand if, if uh, there are those that believe that there are, you know, maybe one better example is that my third is maximizer. And then my wife, Julie has developer and she's a lifesaver for me because uh, there's times when I just want to go in and be a maximizer and she's telling me, hold on, slow down, wait a minute. There's value here. There's, we can, we can get going and I'm ready to just move on because I'm not seeing progress. And she's thinking, Hey, they're getting a great start. And so I see 
that as a match made in heaven, so to speak, because um, she's she's great at helping me be patient. But then she's a developer and, and she can do the developing. But then when people are ready to kick it up, you know, another notch, I'm right there with her to help them in that way as well. So I don't know. It just it just feels like there might be some matches of strengths that what would be helpful is people understand who they are to match up well for accomplishing those big dreams and goals. Yeah. So one of the things that Gallup says, and I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you from a business perspective, because that's where Gallup comes at it from. Right. Yeah. Um, they say, don't use strengths as a indicator of fit for a job. Sure. So I would think, I would think that um, opposites attract, right. Where Arlene and I are connected is in connectedness, right? I have connectedness number one. I don't remember which number it is. It's in her top five, uh, but we diverge from there. Um, so uh, the way that I think about strengths is that whatever your top strengths are is the way that you look at the world. And then the, the, the middle strengths are the, the, the peripheral vision that you have. And then your lesser strengths are your blind spot. They're literally behind you. Um, so what you're describing is that you have a you have a blind spot that Julie has a, a primary vision on or a primary view of. Sure. So, so rather than say, in my in my way of thinking, rather than say there are there are certain things that are that are better matches than others, I would say that the the people that are willing to listen to others who have diverging of, uh, views or opinions on things, the happier they're going to be, the more content they're going to be because they're going to be able to get along with more different kind of people. Does that make sense? And I have maximizer yeah. number two. So you have a number three. That's where yeah. you, you connect as well. And I and I definitely want to get things done, right? That's, sure. uh, but there there's also um, too fast, too much, too hard that we can do. So we have to listen to our mates and we have to listen to others who have diverging ways of being and ways of visioning things um, because they have goals and dreams too. So it's the coalescence of those between two people and your, in your example, or in a team, which is, you know, multiple people where you have to uh, open yourself to that possibility that somebody knows something different than you. And there's humility in that. Right. Which is a virtue. I think, I think virtues probably are the, the glue that puts that together. I was thinking down South, I grew up in the South and, and there used to be the country preacher says, when you're dating opposites attract, when you're married opposites attack. <laughs> and so, uh, but what's the difference? You know, uh, maybe, maybe you're a little more virtuous toward those opposites when you're dating. And if you maintain that virtue in a relationship, perhaps it doesn't matter what's on the other side if the virtues are there. Yeah, so I, I, I think, so in, in the dating situation, you also have hormones and you have other charisma that's happening in the relationship, right? Which over time, and this, I'm not saying anything out of turn, everybody says it, over, over time, those things subside, right? But if you have a match at character and at the foundational ways of thinking of the world, uh, you're in a better place when that subsides. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work because it's still going to be hard work because you're still two different individuals that have two different ways of being and modes of engagement with who you are, right? What you can hope is that you have mates like you and I who are growing in their own path um, and that you're supportive of that path. They are supportive of your path. And then together you continue to grow forward, you know, upward and onward as uh, C.S. Lewis likes to say. When, when I was talking to my granddaughter about, you know, how, how you 
what you put on these cards, does it make a difference if your relationship is going to have purpose, if your relationship is, you know, we use the Queen of England example, if your kids are going to be royalty or, or if you're just going to work together for the greater good, right. uh, does it make a difference what you want to see on those cards? How do you see, I notice even on the right on your chart, spirits at the bottom, spirits at the top, yeah. how do you see flowing from your foundational character and your virtues through becoming where your relationship is actually transcendent of itself. It's actually something bigger than just you two making your way to the world. Or like a lot of people view it, it, it's not flowing to you making the world a better place, but it's just us against the world, you know, and you're trying to figure out how to make your way. How do you see those connected and flowing? That's an interesting question. So I, so I think of, uh, obviously this is a two dimensional chart, right? But the reason I put spirit at the top and spirit at the bottom is because Maslow in his hierarchy ended with self-actualization. So content and happy is the way to think of self-actualization. That's you being the best you you can be. Right. Yeah. Uh, but um, you said it earlier, the transcendence part, it's self-transcendent. It's the ability to go beyond oneself and to become something that is of use, not only to yourself, but to your family and to your community and to your work to your city and to your nation, right? So right. it becomes all encompassing. So then I think of it as an infinity loop. So that's why I start with spirit at the bottom, spirit at the top. Um, you know, from my from my, my faith perspective, I think of the Holy Spirit filling me with the spirit and then overflowing with spirit through my mind and body um, and then and then recycling and, and being refilled and constantly filled with that spirit which outflows love and concern for others and giving and concern and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of the way that I come to that. Does that make sense? Sure. So, so thinking in an infinity loop and, and coming through the top, becoming self-transcendent, allowing your relationship to transcend just two people, but to become something bigger. Um, does that flow back and identify new virtues or create new virtues or how do you see it cycling back up and through again? So when you have a couple of people together, you're the the character that you have is enhanced by the character that your spouse has, right? Or your significant other. Ideally. <laughs> Ideally, right? Um, it can also be hindered by it, honestly, right? So uh, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know exactly the answer to your question. I think I think part of part of this is um, is just experiencing one another in a powerful way, you know, what, what I would hope that everyone would have is somebody that understands who they are on the, on their good days and forgives them for the, who they are on their bad days. Sure. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. There's a, there's a, uh, um, old Jewish principle that the brightest light shines in the darkness. And, and so the concept there is when you're approached by a dark moment or a dark experience, experience or a dark part of your history, yeah. you don't have to settle with the darkness. There is in there a kernel of light to be found and a kernel of truth and, and uh, ability to be found. And, and maybe, maybe that's part of the commitment to coming. If I'm, if I'm not just going to exist for myself, but I'm going to be transcendent, even with my mate, I'm going to help reveal their virtues, yeah. even when they're, they're struggling or failing, I'm still going to look for and find that light and not just leave the darkness to prevail. That's a, that's a, that's a healthy way to think of it. Definitely. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's kind of the, 
the model I put together, I, I don't know that it's perfect. I don't, I can't uh, profess that it is, but what I've developed are 12 different experiences that, I, that an individual or a group can go through, uh, like I said, either individually or collectively uh, to create the good life in themselves. Mm. And that's the end in mind, right? Which is to, to become what you can. Um, and I think that that kind of flows with the parable of the talents, right? So if you think of what uh, of the, the, uh, the parable that Christ laid out, he said that there was a, a, a master who gave, um, I think it was five talents to one person, three to the other, and one to the other. Um, and it was a monetary thing in that in the example. But I think of talents as what we've talked about, which are the, 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 the building blocks for strength. So if you have, if you're gifted with Maximizer and you continue to work on it and you refine it and you make it the best that you can be with it um, and you continue to grow in it, then you're going to grow from one to three and three to five, right? And whatever measurement, the way you want to think about it. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a wise way to think of it because in the example, the person that held on to what they were and weren't willing to grow or to try or to become something different than the one thing that they had, they had it taken away and they were called a wicked servant, right? right. But, the, but they took the one and gave it to the person who had five, who had grown it to 10, right? Sure. So, you know, everybody is, is gifted in different ways, uh, some one, some three, some five, but the whole idea is that we continue to grow throughout life. And, and, I, and, I, and I think and I hope that this will continue through eternity as well. Sure. So perhaps one of those cards would be a commitment to growth and a commitment to becoming. It, it definitely is. I mean, so the, the, the thing that I learned from Dick Dooley was learn and, uh, learn and change, and I just added to it grow. Right. So you have to learn every day based on that learning. You have to change how you do things. And then in that we grow and then it starts over again because there's more to learn and more to know than we can know. And we'll always have something to grow into. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to make you think, <laughs> what would you put on your daughter's cards? Wow. That's a pretty interesting thing. So, uh, from my perspective, the, the things that are the most important in life are to love, um, to be just, um, and to uh, be humble. So if you had somebody that had those three things, they loved broadly, uh, they, they held justice as a standard, um, and they were humble enough to, look, to continue to learn not only from their own experience, but from the experience of others, because that's the less expensive way to learn, right? If you sure. can learn on somebody else's dime, that's the best right. way. So I think those are the three things that I would start with and, and that I would hope that they would have. Sure. How about you? What are your three or more? You know, I think that there has to be um, in a couple, and, and, and I've wanted this, I've been pleased for my children, that they find people that truly appreciate who they are. I mean, just, just not just tolerate it, but kind of revel in it and, and right. just an, an appreciation and a gratitude for who they are. It's, it's one thing to, to marry, you know, someone who's a beautiful songbird. It's another thing to want to put her in a cage. Right. And so, you know, just, just this value, this deep value for, for their essence and who they are and wanting to see that released and, and, um, and shared with the world. I mean, I, I just am blessed with um, in-laws, uh, you know, my children have married uh, mates who really want to see the best in my children released and shared and they share it and they 
they um, they just truly value it, and it just it's just so heartwarming. And when I see that not taking place um, in in a relationship, when when people you know they can't even me- give a measure of respect right. to mate, and and they're despising it, it's just a horrifying thing to have someone that intimate in your life that doesn't value you. So that's a big one. Um, and then you know just. Uh, yeah, the the integrity, loyalty, you know, to be loyal and to stay because we all face things that, yeah. that uh, are going to be unpleasant and we're going to face times when we're asking ourselves, is it worth it? But a loyal person will stick through it and find a way. And then, you know, I have positivity. My, my son married a, a, a young lady with positivity and oh. and um, my daughter married um, uh, a man with positivity. And they just they just always believe there's a way they find a way. And then, you know, they just just keep moving forward in a, in a, in a wonderful, beautiful way so that, um, obstacles don't defeat, but rather they provide an opportunity to, to build something and, and from them come, you know, some really memorable, um, not just memorable, but, uh, seminal moments in the family's history where something was worked through and, and it didn't defeat instead victory came out of it. And, and so loyalty, just a value and a respect for who they are and wanting to see them share that. And, um, you know, we're, we're a group that likes to celebrate. And so, um, we celebrate each other, we celebrate life, we uh, celebrate the things that our other people are doing. And so just gratitude in general, I think is so important. If you can wake up every day and be grateful, you can solve a lot of the issues that'll come at you every day. And if you're ungrateful by habit or proclivity, you've, you've got problems that are very hard to overcome. So I appreciate gratitude as well. Yeah, I, I'd add to my I'd add to my three forgiveness. I think. Oh yeah. The the um, the, um, the program that I uh, I went to with you in um, Colorado mm. um, talked about forgiveness. That uh, a lot of healing doesn't come because of unforgiveness. Right. Um, I, I think that's a, a strong uh, a strong virtue. Because um, in order to be forgiven according to Christ, you have to forgive, right? Right. So it's uh, that's a powerful one as well. So the yeah. thing about it is, from my perspective, I have I like all the virtues, <laughs> sure. and that's the that's the part of be, of having connectedness. Number one, it's like I see all of the possibility, beautiful possibility, um, and none of the none of the downside. And that's the thing about virtues is that if you're living according to the things that people groups religions and uh, nations worldwide for millennia have agreed our paths to, to, uh, to happiness, uh, then that's the path to go on. And if there is something that is agreed to that is a destructive path that is going to lead to heartache and difficulty, uh, that's not the path you want to go down. Yeah. But everybody has a choice every day, as Jordan Peterson says, right? Sure. Whether to do right, do right or do wrong. Um, and that's not something that necessarily um, uh, determines whether we're forgiven or not. Uh, but uh, it sure is a lot easier if you're on the path to, to recovery from the very beginning by, like I said earlier, learning from other people's mistakes and, and going in the right way. I think so, um, as I look at it, you know, we, we're, we're all populating this planet and then, you know, we become divided into different nations or people groups or cultures and those things divide us. And then within that, you know, people become isolated and, and they, they're divided from their community and there's all the breakdowns that come down through that. But truly in, in this day and age, I see so many people that 
are just fragmented within themselves. You know, they're just right. divided within themselves. Their identity is fractured and fragmented. And what right. you talked about earlier, forgiveness, a person has to have the opportunity to work through reuniting the parts of who they are with someone they love. And, and, you know, if you're around a little child who's two or three years old and, and you do something that's stupid or you raise your voice, if I'm around my grandkids and I say, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. They go, okay. And they just move right on. And, and they have this incredible ability to forgive. But as we right. get traumatized and hit by the life, we, it's, it's those parts of us are broken. And so I think forgiveness, the reason we, need to forgive people so we'll be forgiven is because we're allowing those fragmented parts of our identity to be reformed and and, right. and remade and because of that then we can be reformed and remade and it's sort of a you know uh uh what's the word where two two things reinforce a self-reinforcing a paradigm when you live in that forgiveness and you're forgiven you can just truly leapfrog forward and and you become a whole person and then from being a whole person, you can live a life that's not only whole, but holy, transcendent, and it's truly good. And, and the goodness comes out um, because someone who loves you has allowed you to be reformed and that good to come forward. I, I think that's super powerful. Awesome. Yeah, well, I think I think you're going to have quite a bit to talk to your granddaughter about. I think uh, the path that you took on your trip to Minnesota was pretty awesome. Um, I might actually try that with my daughter and my sons as well, because uh, none of them are married yet. And uh, we're not expecting that for a while either. <laughs> well, it happens fast. Boy, you turn around twice and they're all married and you got grandkids. I know. I know. So, Brian, it's been a pleasure to uh, to talk with you about this. Any last thoughts before we uh, head out and say goodbye to everybody? Well, Mike, I, I am grateful for you. I, I am grateful for who you are and what you bring because you've learned how to share the best of who you are in your family lineage and your history with others. And, and that is healing all by itself, just that sharing. But beyond that, you, uh, you give us some real wisdom and some understanding on how to live life and uh, great insight. And, um, you know, insight is about seeing and seeing is about light. And, you know, where there's light, there's life. And where there's light and life, you can always find love. And so I, I just appreciate those things about you. I appreciate your contribution to not only my life, but to all the people that I know you work with. And, and I'm grateful for uh, who you are and for today. Well, I appreciate that as well. Um, I appreciate who you are primarily and what you do with who you are. That's the, that's the key phrase, right? That I try to use, sure. but um, I appreciate uh, that affirmation from you. And I look forward to uh, seeing where this takes us and takes the people that listen to it. So God bless you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. <laughs>